today is uh, Shabbat Shuvah. Today is a very special Shabbat. Throughout the year, there are uh, several different uh, Shabbat days uh, that are very significant, like the Shabbat just before Passover. It's called Shabbat Hagadol, the Great Shabbat. Uh, and uh, this one is Shabbat Shuvah, and very appropriately named because it comes right in the middle of this uh, time of uh, Teshuvah, uh, this time of uh, return, uh, this time of, of repentance. Uh, and you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we are in uh, the book of Genesis, been teaching through it, and uh, we're in the 12th chapter. And it's interesting because at the begin- there's two parts to the 12th chapter, very interestingly. Uh, there's the part where God calls out Abraham and he follows God. Then there's the part where Abraham does some uh, unexpected things uh, toward the end of the chapter. Uh, and uh, I thought I would uh, just share a little bit about the beginning of the chapter. Then uh, today is Messiah's table. Today is an opportunity uh, for us, uh, which we do periodically throughout the year, a time for us to remember our identification in Yeshua, to remember uh, who we are you know, in, in Him. Uh, again, as uh, uh, all as a, a time of uh, repentance and return. And uh, the beginning of chapter 12, as we have noticed the last few weeks, actually is a very nice little model or paradigm for us of return, of what it means. So in Genesis chapter 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched a tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. So we see here that uh, God, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, at least in the text, speaks to Abram. Uh, he didn't prepare uh, that we read anyway. You know, uh, we, we don't read that he prepared him in any way but that God initiates an encounter with Abram. And he speaks to him. And he doesn't uh, tell him first to say a prayer. He doesn't give him any kind of commandments. He doesn't tell him, uh, you know, uh, measure up. Uh, he doesn't tell him, you're almost righteous enough, uh, you know, to be my uh, uh, servant. He just says, go. Go, you go. 
Lech Lecha, in Hebrew, it's like he's, he's telling him very strongly, go. And then he tells him, from your relatives, and from your father's house, and from your country. You know, he's like, he's saying this three times to make uh, an emphasis. He's emphasizing, I want you to leave behind where you have been, and now follow me. This is very much like when Yeshua calls his disciples, you know? Uh, he just says, follow me. Levi leaves the tax office. The fishermen drop their nets and they go and they follow. No questions asked. They, they just go. Uh, there's no directions given to them exactly. But what they know is simply, follow me, follow the Lord. Then God says, to the land which I will show you. And it's, it's kind of interesting that he doesn't exactly tell him yet where the land is. He just says, to the land which I will show you. Okay. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So then God says to him, and you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to relate to you. We learned a little bit about blessing is referring to relationship with God, and it manifests itself in varieties of ways. So God says, I'm going to make you, you follow me, you be with me, I will make you a great nation, and I'll make your name great. Uh, and then he says, and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to others. And it's interesting, uh, you don't read in too many, I haven't read this, I don't know where I've ever read this, but um, when he says at the very end of verse 2, you will be a blessing, I would suggest that verse 3 is sort of unpacking, you shall be a blessing. In other words, you shall be a blessing, and those who come into contact with you and bless you will be blessed. And the one who comes against you, I will, you know, judge. The one who curses you, uh, I, will, I, I will curse. Because you're called to be a blessing. And then he says, and in you all the families of the earth, literally it says, will bless themselves. You know, by relating to you, they'll be blessed, Right? Uh, and so this is a great promise to, uh, to Abram, right? Uh, and it is an unconditional promise, but he does have to embrace God. He does have to follow. And we see that in every single case, uh, whether we're talking about, uh, whether we're talking about uh, Abraham, whether we're talking about Isaiah, whether we're talking about Jeremiah, read the call of anyone in the Bible and the first thing they must do is follow God, which means there must be a level of trust in God. They, there must be a level of, I'm, I'm willing to follow you. N they're not asking, what have you done for me lately, God? And then I'll follow you. No. The unconditional aspect of this goes both ways. You know. So for Abram to be who he turned out to be, he had to unconditionally love God. He had to unconditionally... So I will follow you. Boy, and when, when you follow someone or the Lord or an idea, you are trusting, you are trusting in, in whatever you're following, right? And so we're called to, we say we might embrace Yeshua, we believe in him, we come to know him. We're trusting him is, is what indeed uh, we're doing. So Abram goes forth. And we see that, isn't it interesting, by the way, he's 75 years old. 
So uh, if some of you feel like, wow, you know, I've, uh, I've kind of blown it. You got a long way to go, right? You got a long way to go, you know. Uh, Moses, think about that. He really got started at 80, you know, okay? All right. So uh, he, they depart from Haran. He takes his wife and he takes his, the one he's responsible for, who is Lot. And they go and they leave Haran. Uh, and uh, we see they come to the land of Canaan, and he goes to Shechem, and what does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he worships God. And then we see that he continues on, uh, and he continues to worship God. He builds another altar, and it says, and he called upon the name of, uh, of the Lord. And I would just suggest, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks, about what the blessing means and what the promises are. But for us today, during uh, this week of return, just emphasizing the fact that Abram dropped what he was doing and he went. Now, does that mean that for you and I, we must literally uh, leave town, leave our country, uh, leave, our, leave our family, leave where we go in order to serve God, like that's a, a qualification? No, not, necess- not literally. No, not necessarily. But on the other hand, we, we must follow the Lord. And let me just repeat a, a, a couple of little important points uh, from uh, our Rosh Hashanah services that you can't go half... Abraham could not have said, I'll go for two weeks. You know, I'll, I'll check it out, and then, and, you know, and I'll see if I like it, and then I'll come back. That's not how it works. When we trust God, we trust God, we follow him no matter where he leads us, because we know that he's not going to let go of us, he's not going to destroy us. Everything that he does ultimately is to advance his promise, and we get to be a part of it. Abraham did not live a, a, a life where there was no stress or no uh, challenges. He faced great tests. In fact, the rabbis like to talk about the, the ten tests of Abraham. You know, tests of his faith, being asked to go beyond uh, his, way beyond his comfort zone, you know. Uh, and the fact that he followed God all the way is why Abraham is the man who we, we know. Now, you know, there's something else about it. When you read chapter 12 through chapter 22 of Genesis, what you see is that Abraham uh, actually uh, is uh, um, shown to us to be more and more a man of faith as the chapters unfold. He doesn't, he doesn't come ready-made. It's not a make-believe kind of character. We'll see what happens at the end of the chapter. Right now it seems like, wow, Abraham is like Superman. You know, he follows God all the days of his life, it seems, and then, wow, it's, this is, you know, that's who we're called to be like. But we'll see at the end of chapter 12, he doesn't appear so perfect. And then uh, he's going to ask God, uh, who is the heir going to be? And he seems to be quite preoccupied with the fact that he and Sarah don't have children. And first he thinks it's going to be Eliezer, his servant. And then we see that he has relations with Hagar, the Egyptian. Uh, and there's Ishmael, uh, because Abraham is trying to figure this out. 
And we see time and again during his life, he's trying to develop his own strategy to do what he thinks God wants him to do. And it's not until when, uh, when Isaac is born and then God asks him to do the unthinkable, to carry him up this mountain to, to sacrifice him, right? As we said, Abraham does not know how this is going to actually turn out. All he knows is, is that he's going to return with Isaac. And the combination of what we read in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter and what we read in the narrative in chapter 22 tells us that either he was going to die and be raised from the dead or he wouldn't die. Somehow this is going to work out. But Abraham did not know. All he knew is to put one foot ahead of the other and to follow the Lord, to follow what God said. That is a great challenge for us. And that's what it means to return. When we return, we're trusting God. We're following God without caveats. If, if, no, we, we uh, continue to walk with God. And what are we returning to, by the way? That's kind of interesting. We're returning to the place of blessing. We're returning to the place where we started as um, being called out as a people. Not necessarily in our own lives. For example, when uh, we come to know Messiah and we return, what am I? Re- I'm returning to a place I've never been, right? A place where God uh, has called us to be. But for most of us that are here today, I would suggest when we think about returning, we return to that place perhaps where we once were where we were just so excited about the things of God. Maybe when we first came to know Messiah and we're first discovering um, you know, what, it, what it meant to know the Lord, returning to the place, maybe that's that soft place in your heart where you remember the greatest time of your walk with God, that's where we want to return to, right? And as, uh, and as I shared in the Darash that we sent out, and in another way, what we're, we're returning to is we're going back to the future, right? Not way back in the past, but to that future place of blessing. And so whether we're thinking about the greatest time of my walk with, with the Lord or our vision of where God is calling us, you know, at the end where we're going to be resurrected from the dead and, uh, and have a new life, in either, either of those places, that's where we're going back to. We're going back to, we'll just call it the place of blessing. So let's take a look in a, for just a few minutes at the last part of Genesis chapter 12. Let's make a few comments on it. Hopefully it'll be an encouragement to us. So after this great experience that, um, that uh, Abraham has, this great experience of following the Lord and worshiping God and entering the land and, and all that, okay? We see now life continues. And this is sometimes what happens in our own lives, isn't it? We may have an experience with God. Life goes on. And the key is, is boy, how do I make that? Or like a, how do I just live that way? Well, what we want to see first here, uh, just for a few moments, is... What happened to Abraham after the great blessing? Okay? So now it says, now there was a famine in the land. So isn't that something, by the way, here? God sends him, says, leave everything and go to this land. And wouldn't you know, the land 
is like this rocky, hilly place. And not only that, but there's a famine in the land. One might think that if God was going to tell Abraham, leave everything behind and go to the land, it would be like Hawaii or something. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, just like uh, kick up the heels on the beach and yeah, now that's what I would call a blessing, right? Yeah. All right. So there's a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Now that's kind of interesting. You know, you can ask yourself, should he have gone down to Egypt or should he have not gone down to Egypt? You know, God gave him the land. But there's a famine in the land. And it says it twice. You know, that's significant. It says it twice. There's a real famine in this land. And, and Abraham goes down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now, sojourn is a very interesting word. You know, that's just an English word, a traditional word that's used. Name of a magazine and an organization, you know, and uh, sort of gives you the sense of like following the Lord, sojourning before God, right? The Hebrew word that's there is ger, uh, which is what we would call a proselyte, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, what, he, what it really means is to live there, to live there, okay? Not like, uh, like hang out there till the famine's over, okay? It's a sojourn, like to dwell there. It's a different word, not the same as uh, yoshev and, and all that, but, uh, but ger, lagur, it says, uh, literally there. And there, for the famine was severe in the land. So it's telling us that he went down there. The famine was so bad that he had to go. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now I know that you are a beautiful woman, and it will come about when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. So this is very interesting. So Abram, there's a famine in the land, he has to go down to Egypt, but he makes up a strategy so that he lives, okay? He makes up a strategy that he lives. He's trusted God to leave Haran and go down, uh, you know, into uh, uh, Canaan. He trusts God there, but now time keeps moving on and, you know, he's not so sure now what's going to happen. And so what is happening is he's relying on his own ingenuity. He's relying on his own uh, ideas here of how to survive. So what we see is, is that Abraham is not quite all the way there of trusting God in all circumstances uh, and in everything that happens. He's figuring it out. Okay. So uh, what he basically wants to do is have Sarah say, you're my uh, sister. And the reason for that, there's a, several different reasons for that. One reason could be that, that if he's the brother, then he's responsible for her. And that uh, not only would he live, but also that he would um, uh, uh, be in control of Sarah and maybe not have to give her to uh, Pharaoh. We don't know exactly, uh, exactly. What we do know is, is that from when this happens to him again, uh, in chapter 20 with Abimelech, that there we read that uh, Sarah is the daughter of his father, but not of his mother. Okay? So, yes, oh, he wasn't lying. He was telling a half-truth. What I like to say is, what about the other half? 
You know, what about the other half? Okay. Uh, and so then we see, and it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, that's kind of interesting. She was taken into Pharaoh's house. So another thing we don't know, we don't know was she like uh, taken from Abraham, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, you know in a negative, bad way. Uh, what, it, what does it mean? What it means, uh, at least what we know from the text is that they're not together and she's in the harem. Okay? That's bad news. All right? Bad news for the promise. Bad news for God's plan. Bad news for why Abraham was called out. Okay? All right. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake. Look at that. He treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. In other words, he got rich. He got rich in Egypt. He's blessed in Egypt by Pharaoh. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God protects the covenant. He protects the promise. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went up on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar that he had made there formerly. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so we see that this whole thing kind of works out pretty well for, a for uh, Abram. Now, there's a couple of lessons here. One is the basic uh, lesson of the text as we read it, and that is that God is faithful even when his servants are not. God is faithful even when his servants are not. Abram is portrayed here in less than a stellar light, okay? Uh, he is portrayed as basically throw us, throwing Sarah under the bus, right? I, uh, but that God saves the day, but that God saves the day, uh, and God retrieves Sarah. Even if you view Abram in this as, uh, well, I don't know if it was that bad what he did. He was trying to maybe salvage uh, Sarah and himself. That's all fine. The point is, is that God had to save the day. That Pharaoh, this pagan king, uh, has a plague upon him and somehow figures out that the plague is because of uh, Abram and Sarah. And he has some kind of discernment, evidently from God, not to touch this woman. And, uh, and so very quickly, the way it's written, very quickly, Abram comes, he gives back her to uh, him, and they take him out of the land uh, with all of the wealth that he had accumulated uh, in Egypt. So... A lesson there is, uh, is that God will always protect his promise and his covenant. 
God had called out Abram uh, uh, for the purpose of promise. When God calls out you and I, it is not, it's not because God has a wonderful plan for our lives. Did you know that? How can I say that? Right? It's because he has a wonderful plan for this world, but we get to be a part of it. It's not about me, and it's not about you. God did not save you so that, so that now everything will be great and fine. That is where we all go wrong. That is where we have unrealistic expectations in our lives about what God's going to do in our lives. Lord, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Lord, why did I get this disease? Lord, why don't I get the job of my dreams? Lord, why did my kids turn out the way they did? Or why, Lord, why did you give me parents the way I have them? You know, I, because, you know, it's not about you and me. It's, an about the, it's about the promise. So, you see, when we know the Lord, though, he calls us, he says, follow me, just like Abraham. Follow me. Okay, now I have something for you to do, right? And we're called to make disciples. We're called to demonstrate the character of God in our lives. Uh, we're called to, to uh, make a difference in this world by being a living testimony of who Yeshua is. We may suffer for it. Uh, we may have difficulty for it. But when we value that relationship more than everything else, then we know that, wow, what a blessing it is to know Messiah. And, the, and yes, the power of his resurrection, but also, wow, the fellowship of his sufferings. And we can call ourselves blessed even experiencing the fellowship of those sufferings because we realize that the promises of God are in Yeshua for today or the, and or the future. You see? So we see, what did Abram do wrong? Well, after he knew the Lord, rather than just trust God, Lord, okay, there's a famine, I'm going to go down to Egypt, protect us, Lord. He concocts a plan to protect himself. And at first, it backfires, but God takes it and blesses it. And what ends up happening? He ends up be, being wealthy. He ends up leaving Egypt with great wealth. Uh, and so God will take even our even when we mess up, uh, and uh, He will somehow redeem the situation. Not necessarily with physical uh, well-being, but He'll redeem the situation. And the promise continues. See, Abram and Sarah have to have a child. And what we read in Genesis over and over again, is how, that, how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob almost thwart the plan. But God always steps in, always steps in and saves the day. And so no matter how much we may mess up, God's plan will indeed continue. And what we also see is that God does not do away with Abraham and start over again with somebody else. And so in the same way, he, he brings forgiveness uh, to us. We're reconciled to him, and he, he redeems us, and we can continue to be used of God, even when we mess up. When we confess our sins, God will forgive us and cleanse us. And, re, and he re, so he redeems us and redeems uh, the situations uh, you know, in our lives. And basically, what you have here in this story is a microcosm of the of a, or a, or a type or a picture or an illustration of a little bit later what happens where, the, where Jacob and his sons go back to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, right? Uh, and there they become enslaved 
and how horrible it is. Yet that is where Israel grows to be this great nation and then enslaved and then redeemed. And we might say, wow, how unfortunate it is that they ended up in Egypt and how unfortunate it is that they were enslaved. But we see that God redeems the situation. They become a great nation. And even though enslaved, they are redeemed by God. But remember that the people who participated, uh, the, the Jewish people who lived from the time of Joseph and his brothers to the time of the redemption, generations came and died. And, and they, they were born in slavery and they died in slavery. But they were part of a process they were part of the process of the deliverance of the, prom, uh, of the promise. And so in our own lives, in knowing Messiah, in some ways we're, we're like Abraham, we follow the Lord, but then we get ourselves in, in trouble, you know. God blesses Abram in Egypt, and he, he gets out intact with his wife. God saved the day. God redeemed the situation. And so when our, when our ancestors went to, to Egypt because of the famine and they grew to a great nation, that's great, but then they become enslaved. God redeems the situation again. And no matter where we fit in into this history, no matter uh, what situation you may be experiencing in life, when you know Messiah, you are part of the solution. You are part of the promise. You are part of God's future in this world. And that is why Paul can talk about that he has not obtained it yet, that he presses on, and that the value of knowing Messiah, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, that's what he really wants to be. He really wants to be more than anything else conformed to the image of Yeshua, because that is what God has called all of us to. And that is where there is great satisfaction, regardless of the circumstances of our lives, with a knowledge and assurance that in Messiah Yeshua, God's promises are a yes. We are destined for resurrection. We are destined for a life forever uh, with God. Uh, and as we walk with God today, we are destined to make a difference in our world as we walk in Him. And that's what it means to return. That's what it means to leave and follow God regardless where it takes us. There is meaning. There is satisfaction. Uh, there, is, uh, there is a definite future, and there is the blessing of the surpassing value of knowing Messiah today. May we cultivate that in our uh, lives during these days of awe. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, that uh, you, you never give up on us, even when we concoct our own plans and strategies. Thank you, Lord, that the goal is always the redemption of the world for your glory. Lord, thank you that you have given us the opportunity to follow you, just like those disciples. And thank you, Lord, that the reason they were called was not to make their lives better, in fact, they suffered, but to, but to be in this exalted position of making disciples and being part of this process of, of uh, the redemption of this world. Lord, we know in the book of Ezekiel, you tell us there, that you are going to return our people from the four corners of the earth, not because of any goodness in us, Lord, but because of your namesake, for your namesake. And so, Lord, may you be glorified in us. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would really cultivate that walk with you where we really value that relationship with you 
more than anything else that there is. As we read your word, as we fellowship with one another, as we think about you, Lord, Lord, may the Ruach fan the flames within us, God, to have that kind of relationship with you where we really live victoriously as overcomers. Lord, may indeed we return to you. We pray in Messiah's name.